This is the Hacker Valley Studio Podcast, exploring the human element behind cybersecurity programs and technology. How's it going, everyone? Welcome back to the show. In this episode, we have Jordan Harbinger from The Jordan Harbinger Show. This is an awesome conversation. We talk about networking. We talk about his background in hacking. And we even talk about the art of conversation. If you like this and you want to get more from us, check out our webpage at hackervalley.studio. And as always, if you want to support us, support us on our Patreon page at patreon.com forward slash hackervalleystudio. Just wanted to give a shout out to our new pledges, Jacqueline Ryder and Marwin. Thank you so much for being a part of our family. And we look forward to doing some great things with you all. And with that, let's get right to the episode. What's going on, everybody? You are in the Hacker Valley studio with your hosts, Ron and Chris. Yes, sir. Welcome back to the show. Glad to be back again. Today, we have a very special guest and a big name. We've brought in someone you've heard of on TV and in podcasts, and maybe you've met him at Black Hat or DEF CON. We have Jordan Harbinger. He is an expert in entrepreneurship, business, and relationships. He is a former hacker of phones and technology, and also hacker of humans. Jordan, you're an OG podcaster. Shout outs and so much respect to you. And now you're behind the Jordan Harbinger show. It, it gets 6.1 million downloads per month. And it's a true pleasure to have you on our show. And welcome. Thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. Yeah, Jordan, thanks for being on the show and hopping on a mic with us. Uh, so we were actually introduced via a common listener. Uh, shout out to Chris Sant, likely taking your uh, six-minute networking course to heart. From what I'm sensing from all the content that you put out, because there's a lot of it, there's a, a website called Podchaser. It says you've been on 112 podcasts, and it has the total airtime of two weeks and six days. <laughs> there's no way that's all of the shows. There's no, I, I agree. Because no I way. think I did 140 like last year. So that might, that's probably the amount of podcasts I've been on since Podchaser existed or something like that, or since right. I started counting that. But bear in mind, I've been going on other people's podcasts since 2006, 2007. So if that's, wait, how long is that airtime? Two weeks? Yeah, two weeks and six days. Jeez. And that doesn't count my own show, right? Because there's a thousand of those. So if you think about that, that is for sure for it's for sure in the in the triple digit hundreds of shows so there's like months of my voice without <laughs> sleep that's bizarre to think about you could you could program that into an ai and yeah you could yeah and some there, there could be a, a jordan bot somewhere running around that's there right. has to be <laughs> yeah like one of the easiest things to get is my voice in various forms of expression uh, on the internet in high def audio what I'm sensing is you're a lot like us. Uh, we're fascinated by people, their lives, their stories, their passions. Uh, I'd love for people to hear yours. Uh, for the folks that don't know who you are just yet, would love to hear a little bit about your background and what you're doing today. Sure. So my background is I used to be a Wall Street attorney. And before that, of course, I was doing all kinds of things that got me in trouble, which is kind of where the hacker part comes in. Uh, but I got a legit job, so to speak, as an attorney. 
And that's when I started learning about networking and relationship development. And that led me to psychology, which really harkened back to my days doing social engineering stuff as a teenager and in my early 20s. And that's when I, so I dove back into that thinking, oh, so sales and networking is like social engineering, but it's white hat. I'd never, it never occurred to me that sales and networking and anything like that, it never occurred to me that social engineering had a flip side that was used for good, which is funny because now when you describe social engineering to most people, you say, it's like persuasion and influence, only it's used for penetration testing. Rarely do you have to explain it the other way around. You know, when I was a teenager, I was like, whoa, there's all this, we didn't call it persuasion and influence, of course, but there's all this persuasion and influence stuff and you can do this and this and this with it. It never even occurred to me that there was like, a productive use for it that was above board for me when i was to to be completely transparent and you know tell a story of my own when i really got into people it was actually during a time where people were not really nice to me i think it started about middle school or so and i got made fun of all the time didn't have many friends and so one day i said you know what i'm, I'm sick of this crap i'm sick of people like just kind of counting me out and so i made it a point to talk to a new person every single day and ever since that time, I've always found people like to be the most fascinating aspect of life. And that's what pushes us to do like the podcast. That's what pushes us to be the networkers that we are. The passion to talk to people, to understand them, to be able to get the, the best conversation out of those people. Like how, how, where did that passion come from for you? You know, for me, I realized that I'm interested in people and I always was. And I think that's the reason that I initially got interested in social engineering. Yes, there was, of course, the thrill of doing something you're not supposed to do when you're a teenager and things like that. But really, I started to enjoy the I started to enjoy the conversations that I was having. And, and I didn't realize it at the time, right? Like when you're talking with somebody from the phone company and trying to get a login or something like that, I realized, huh, I, yes, there's a thrill, and that's definitely part of it, maybe even the biggest part of it. But I also really enjoy getting rapport with people, learning about what they're doing, learning about them. That part was interesting for me. So I would stay on the phone for hours and hours and hours. Now, fast forward to now, according to your recent calculations, apparently I'm still really enjoying conversations with people, whether they're about me or ideally about them. And I've made a living out of doing that. Where that passion comes from, hard to say. I don't know if it's natural and inborn or I developed it along the way. My theory, if I had to come up with one, would be that since I was born an only child and still am, you know, that's how that works. I was lonely a lot and I hung out with my parents, which, you know, is like it's old when you're 13, 14, 16. So... I made my friends and I hung out with my friends, but I also felt alone even with my friends because even when I was, let's say, 14, 15, 16, I would be like, let's do this, let's research this, let's figure out how this system works. And they're like, let's go steal candy from Kroger. And I'm like, <laughs> what are you talking about? You know, like, what are you talking about? So my friends were like, I remember Friday nights and thinking, you know what we can do? I got the dial-in number for our school's computer system. We should dial that, see what happens, try a couple logins. I bet the passwords are really easy. You know, they're probably the people's birthdays from the administrator, and we have a login, and we have an email, and we can even call uh, this support line during the day and probably get, you know, the password, and we can see what's on the system. Maybe we can change our grades. And my friends were like, 
uh, yeah, I'm gonna go to Angela's house because I think like her parents are gone, and we're just gonna like drink some of these wine coolers. <laughs> I'm like, guys, that that sounds fun, but the girls aren't really gonna be there. Russ, like, just give up the pipe dream. Come change your grades and have a future. And they were like, nah, you know, we're gonna go ride BMX bikes. There's nothing wrong with riding BMX bikes, but I think for me, I just felt like I don't fit in. This is never gonna change. So talking with adults, or at least younger adults. I felt like, oh, this person totally gets me. You know, this person is interested in these weird Soviet Union things. I'm kind of interested in hearing about that. So I, I remember like my friends going to play and I was talking with this neighbor who had a Russian guy over and they were drinking and talking and he was talking about what it was like in the Soviet Union. And I think it was like 1992, you know, so there were not Russians hanging out in Michigan in 1992. Right. This guy was just a kind of an intrepid traveler and had somehow gotten a visa and money together to come to the States. So I was listening to how things worked in the Soviet Union. He was telling me about his childhood. I found it utterly fascinating. And my friend who was the the son of the person who had this Russian guy over, he was like, this is stupid. I'm going to go play Nintendo. And, and so I never really fit in. And I think that made me an outcast, which I think a lot of y'all hacker types can identify with that. I don't know too many hackers that are like, yeah, you know, I was the quarterback of my high school's football team. And I was like, I should get good at spending all day and all night trying the same thing over and over until I figure out how to crack this complex system. That's just not something we do. I'm not saying we're all nerds. I'm just saying that out of 100 hackers, 99 of us might have been considered a little nerdier in high school. And I think that's fair, right? Probably. I would say I was definitely uh, along those lines. I didn't look it, but I definitely was on the inside. Me neither. I, I look. I remember in, in college, and even in high school. Yeah, classic example in high school. A, a bunch of these like nerdy girls were always inviting me to do stuff, and I finally relented and said, "Sure, why not?" And they would say, "I'm so glad you came over to our side because your friends are not cool." <laughs> and I was laughing because I went, "My friends are really cool. My friends are captain of the football team. My other friends like da 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 the skateboarders." And she goes. Yeah, but that's not really cool. That's not really what we're into. And she was totally right. Like, yes, it was kind of cool that they were athletic and skateboarded, but like the guys that I hung out with that smoked weed and like got in fights, that really wasn't cool. What was cool was the kids who all went to MIT, right? <laughs> and I, I finally kind of let myself be a part of their group, but I resisted it for so long because I didn't want to be a nerd. But, you know, as you and everyone listening already knows, you you're a nerd whether you like it or not you can resist it as much as yep. you want. you know that's not going to help pretending you're not a friggin' geek like me that strategy failed over and over and over and i was just banging my head against the wall and so when i finally realized oh it's okay to be a geek then that's kind of when i'd like to think that's kind of when life began for me because i didn't feel like such a piece of crap like i felt oh there are tons of people like me i've just been ignoring them because i didn't want social consequences but then once you get out of high school and you realize that all the people you hung out with in high school that were quote unquote cool are going to marry their high school sweetheart and go to a community college or something like that like they did in michigan where i was from you kind of go oh that's not really a great lifestyle this i was doing the right thing the whole time kicking and screaming i wish i'd just gone with the flow i was freaking swimming upstream so that got me interested in people because I realized not only could I sort of pull the chameleon thing and blend in with these different groups, but people were fascinating, not skateboarding, stealing candy from Kroger, not even learning about people a thousand years ago. You know, history is great, but the truth is the reason history is important is because it informs what we know about people and governments and 
social trends now, right? That's why it's important. So I think all that coagulated finally and kind of had to hit me over the head with it because I was, I don't want to say slow, but resistant to, to like getting it through my thick skull, so to speak. Wow. So it sounds like you've always been intrigued with getting good at getting good at things or something that you weren't previously good at. What is something that you're working on now that you weren't good at maybe two years ago? Okay, sure. So, well, two years ago, mm, I'm taking voice lessons now, not to sing, actually, but I'm taking voice lessons right now because, as you may know, I talk all day. And the problem with that is if you talk on your throat, which is kind of hard to explain, and it's taken me like a year to figure out even what they're talking about. If you talk on your throat, your voice will get really sore. You talk on the fry. Do you know what vocal fry is? Have you heard of this? Mm -mm, No. Vocal fry. You you know how like a lot of people, their voice goes, and they talk like that. The teenager BS Right. Vocal fry. It's actually really bad for your vocal cords and it causes damage over time. And I didn't know I was doing that because I didn't sound like that. But at the end of words, it would show up a little bit. And anybody who's a trained singer who's listening to this or anything, they're going to hear me do it by accident. But I've been taking voice lessons all constantly and working and working and working on this because if I talk for six hours, I'm I'm hurting. And right. Singers can sing for a long time. They can talk for a long time. They have greater tonal range, so their voice is more engaging. There's a lot of benefits to not talking on your throat. And it's taken me months and months and months to kind of get the idea of where that is. And now, not that I'm spending months and months and months learning where that is, but I'm now I have to remember to not jump back into that habit. You know, like if you run weird and you've got like a weird gait you're going to keep doing that, especially when you get tired, because you go back, you default to the level of your training. So I've had to do that with my voice. And it's it's really tough. But over the last like 10 years, let me put it this way, I got C's in French in high school. And now I speak five languages. And one of them is Mandarin Chinese. So like you can learn stuff that you thought you could never do. My French teacher said, some people just aren't good at languages. And you might just be one of those people, but you still have to do the homework in my class. And what's funny is not only am I not bad at languages, I guarantee you that I'm so much better than the French teacher ever was at French at any one of the languages that I actually can speak. (laughs) French is not one of them. But I just thought that was interesting because if you told me when she did, when I was 15, that I wasn't good at languages, I 100% believed it. But I mean, I moved to Germany as an exchange student and they were like, I was like, didn't everyone, I was told everyone speaks English here. And I ended up in the former East Germany, which was like a Soviet satellite state, if you recall. And they were like, no, we speak Russian and German and maybe a little bit of English, dude. But, you know, this is the 90s. They didn't speak English. So I learned German and I went, oh, well, if I can learn German without a teacher, I probably could have learned French, which is much easier than German with a teacher. I just had a crappy teacher. I wasn't motivated. I didn't have strategies. And, you know, lo and behold, guys, I don't know about you. I didn't learn English by memorizing verb tables of irregular verbs and past present participles or whatever those things are. I learned it from speaking. So mm-hmm. turns out, move to Germany, learn German. Move to Panama, learn Spanish. Move to Serbia, learn Serbian. You know, Live in Taiwan or take lessons over Skype with a teacher, learn Chinese. And so I've had to hack my own brain and systems. And what's funny is all these sort of cool divergent things I feel like I've thought of myself for learning strategies, 
are just actually the way that humans learn stuff by default normally. When I started taking Chinese on Skype, which I do all the time now, I still take Skype lessons. And by the way, if anybody wants to learn Chinese on Skype, you can email me and I'll refer you. It's very cheap. They were like, you have to learn, you have to read, you have to write, you have to do this, 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 and this. And I went, I just want to talk. And then when I hear words I don't know, I'm going to write them in this flashcard program and I'm going to study the vocabulary. And they were like, this is really not a good strategy for learning Chinese. You have to learn how to write the characters. You have to do this this very specific way. And I said, humor me on this. And now they're like, well, you're definitely the person with the best Chinese out of any of our current long distance students. And the reason is because when's the last time you hand wrote a, a note, guys? I don't know, 10 years ago? Maybe you put a, a note on a computer. Yeah. And, Post and so, a note. They, yeah, they're saying like, no, you got to learn stroke order, which is the way that you paint the letters and it's a certain way. And you've got to learn these radicals, which are like the alphabet, but there is no alphabet. There's just thousands of different symbols. So these types of things were things I had to manually learn according to them. And I just said, nah, I'm just going to talk. And turns out that's how little kids learn languages. So it freaking works. So sometimes... A, a lot of my life, I feel like, has been taking systems that were developed for and by the mainstream masses and just re-engineering it so that it works for me because I am admittedly a little bit of a weirdo, right? I didn't get diagnosed with ADHD until college, and I'm still on the fence as to whether I have it or whether Adderall just is good for me because <laughs> it helps me focus, <laughs> which, like, go figure, amphetamine works. But a lot of these things, it turns out like maybe I just wasn't cut out to sit in a room and have someone talk at me for an hour. I was cut out to be on your podcast and talk at you for an hour. <laughs> so I don't know. I don't know, but I know what's worked for me and recently. And it was nothing like what worked for me as a kid or didn't work for me as a kid. You just had a recent guest on. Yeah, you had Jim Quick. Sounds like you guys go way back and are close friends. Yeah. One of the quotes that I always love that Jim Quick uh, says pretty regularly, even in even in his courses, is genius leaves clues. What is a clue that you can leave us and our listeners for uh, finding the strategy that works best for you? Yeah, so it's tough because genius leaves clues really is kind of a cool. I mean, that's a cool genius thing to even hear about in the first place, in my right. opinion. <laughs> but uh, what I what I find is that. You know, this is tricky because I honestly think that there's too much, I get in trouble for saying this, so bear with me here. There's too much listening to folks that design systems for everyone, and hackers are in a, a very good place to understand this. When we design things like schools or ways to learn something, they're often designed by somebody who goes, okay, we have to teach a ton of people with different learning styles this very difficult set of skills. So what we need to do is dumb it way down, teach only the basics, make other basics really, I don't know what the opposite is of nuanced is, like smooth them out so they're not nuanced, and then get them to be memorable by people. And that's just not really a good way to learn a specific skill for something that you want to get good at. Like if you told me to play basketball by bouncing the ball up and down while running up and down the court and then throwing it towards the basket, that would work. You could teach 20 kids how to play basketball that way. But if you wanted someone to get good at basketball, you'd have to teach them a whole different set of nuanced skills of how to work the court and how to take different types of shots, different styles of shots. But we don't really have that kind of time when we're in a class, when we're in school. So what I find is you're better off finding 
a system and perfecting it. And I put perfect in, in quotes, of course, but finding a system that works for you and really doubling down on that, like for Chinese for me was, I just want to talk to the teacher. And now I'm reading, of course, I'm reading children's books. And then I'm going to study flashcards. And they're like, no, you got to have all these basics, like I mentioned before. And I just went, you know, humor me on this because I know that I'm not going to learn these basics. And I also know that I'm going to get discouraged. And I think for a lot of folks, you think you can't learn something, but really you're just massively discouraged because the system that was designed to teach a bunch of middle schoolers French was freaking boring and wasn't designed to get you anything remotely interested, or remotely interesting in terms of French. Like if you'd told me, that I was gonna meet a bunch of French girls and I was in middle school, I probably would have started practicing. But since people <laughs> I had to memorize a bunch of irregular verbs or I was gonna get a detention, I just was like, cool, I'll do my homework in detention, right? So you have to figure out how to motivate yourself, but also how to learn the elements of a system that make the most sense. And hackers are, are typically pretty good at this because that's what hacking is kind of in a lot of ways, like finding things that work for mm -hmm. you and don't work for other people and or thinking outside the the mainstream and that works great for social engineering too like i remember thinking about systems of social engineering back when i was in my mid uh, early 20s i wanted to get into concerts and i remember a hacker buddy of mine he was we didn't call him that you know we didn't say hacker back then we just called him like clever punk or whatever you want to do <laughs> he, was, he had figured out how to print tickets you know like ticket master tickets we'd get a, we got a pair of tickets he had Photoshop, we'd scan him. Nobody had a scanner Photoshop. I mean, this was some like rich kid-ish right here, right, in like the 90s. Like he had a scanner and Photoshop. We bought a photo printer with a credit card and we planned to return it before the time period was up. And we would, like a high def, like kind of, I don't know if it was inkjet, but it was some kind of jet that made it, I mean, it printed stuff that looked really damn real. And we printed it on the right paper and everything. And we made Beastie Boys tickets. And I showed up to this Beastie Boys concert in the same seats that my girlfriend, whose tickets we'd had that we'd scanned, had. And and because I, I knew she wouldn't say like, "What are you doing here? You can't sit in my seats like a normal person would." She was just like, "Holy crap! My boyfriend came to the concert. We'll both stand in the same spot, and I'll be right up on her. It's my girlfriend. It doesn't matter." So like, those are the kinds of things we would figure out over time. And looking at social engineering when I wanted to get into concerts and didn't have time to scan and print tickets, I would walk up to the front of the line. And I'd say, hey, I'm here from Electronic Scene Magazine. Here's my, you know, cheapo business card that I just printed off, you know, at Kinko's on the way there. And I have to, I got to get in and like cover this concert. And they'd be like, what are you talking about? I don't know anything about this. But I knew, of course, the person working in the box office, they're not a manager. They're like 17 years old, 21 years old. You know, I'm 24. I, I'm of that age where somebody might cover a concert. So I would ask to speak with the manager and then the manager would go, I don't know anything about this, bro. Sorry. And I'd say, cool. What's your name? Uh, Paul. Cool, Paul. I'm going to, I just wanted to know that because I'm tired. I'm going to go back to my hotel. I'm super jet lagged. But if they're like, where's the article? I got to be like, yo, manager, Paul wouldn't let me in. There was some sort of mix up. So thanks, Paul. And he'd be like, whoa, whoa, hang on. I'm not getting in trouble for this. Right. So he'd be like, come on in. And uh. I get into the concert and then I would walk all the way up to where the backstage kind of security guys were. And I'd say, hey, I'm from, I do the same thing over and over again. And the guy would go, look, I don't care if you can't cover it, you can cover it from out here. And I'd go, cool, what's your name? My name's Tom, I'm the head of security. Cool, Tom, I just, all good. I, I realize you're just doing your job. I just, when they say like, where are the photos from backstage? I just wanna make sure that like, 
I just say Tom didn't have my name on the list. And he'd be like, you know what? What's the harm? You just got a camera. You just got to take a couple photos. Just make sure the photos are only of the artist, none of the other people backstage. You know, there's a lot of people back there that shouldn't be back there. You know, don't want people to know they're back there. I'm like, don't worry, just the artist, probably the audience from the stage. And they're like, great. And then the owner would come up and be like, hey, I heard you guys are media. And I was like, oh my God, I'm going to jail, right? Mm. The owner of the venue. And he'd go, I'm so sorry. I had no idea this was happening. And I'd go, you know what? I don't know either. Somebody from my office must have just talked to somebody from your office and like, here, here I am. But obviously it was all set up right because, you know, the people up front kind of knew it was going on. And then he's like, yeah, I'm so sorry. I, I usually I'm in on this. I got to tell my manager to keep me apprised of this. And I'd go, don't get, don't worry about him. He was very helpful. He was very cool. Everybody's really busy. You guys are great. And he'd be like, what do you want to drink? And I'd be backstage drinking like with the DJ at the concert within 45 minutes of showing up at the back of a three hour line. And <laughs> and like, I'm not doing that to brag because at the end, you're kind of stealing from this venue. Like you should have bought tickets. But I was, you know, I like to think, okay, cool. I was in my early 20s. I wasn't going to buy tickets. I like to rationalize it in some way. But the truth is that wasn't really the right thing to do. But the point of the story is that these are systems that people don't see the holes in these systems because we're so used to our routine social programming or the way that the system has been set up for us to learn to behave that when somebody who's looking for holes really knows how to pull the human strings, these, these holes become really, really visible. And that's kind of what I like to explore on the Jordan Harbinger show. Like I'm not social engineering on the, on the show, but I kind of also am, right? Like I want people to spill the beans about their work in the CIA in Moscow in the 80s. I want to get someone to talk a little bit more in depth about the strategies they teach when they teach business people or spies or when they're acting or when they're chasing drug cartels or, you know, working on some sort of scientific thing or undercover with the FBI and the mafia. Like that's the stuff I want to get to. And I use these psychology these psychology concepts that I learned through experience and not from a textbook. And I think that's that, in my opinion, that's what makes the Jordan Harbinger show more interesting. I think that's a perfect segue to my next question. Speaking of social engineering, we've had quite a few social engineers on our podcast, Jenny Radcliffe, our good friend, Chris Hadnagy. And one thing that they're really great at is the art of conversation. One thing that I am terrible at is I I absolutely cannot stand small talk. I like to, that's like, for me, that's the chore to get to the meat of the matter. I love to get to the value, those deep conversations where everyone comes away better from that conversation. What, What are those tips and tricks and advice for people to actually get to great conversations with people to really understand and get intimate with people via words? Sure. So obviously there's a lot that can go into this, but there's something I like to call the, and I didn't invent this, the plunging stone. And what that means is it's like feel it's well, facts, emotions, and why. So few principle or the plunging stone. And the, this is in our six minute networking course, which is like a free thing that I have. I don't want to plug anything on your show without your. Program. Oh, no, absolutely. I recommend everyone to go take that. I took it myself. I think it's outstanding. I was using concepts from that immediately and saw a complete dividend. So absolutely plug it. Continue your story, sir. Cool. So it's it's at jordanharbinger.com slash course is where it is. And it's free. It's not like enter your credit card. And it's free. it's like just free. I don't even sell anything. I probably should, but I don't. 
the feelings, emotion, why I explained it in a video on that course as well, but or facts, emotions, why few principle, what this is, is like, let's say that we go to some kind of party. I run into you guys. I don't know you, you know, and, and we're at this party from a mutual friend, Chris Hagnett had Nagy had a party. Who knows? So I run into you guys and I'm like, hey, what do you guys do? This typical conversation from people that don't know how to do anything sort of uh, advanced socially, right? What do you do? Oh, we're, we're run a hacking podcast. Oh, cool. What do you do? Oh, I'm a lawyer or whatever. Oh, that's interesting. Well, what kind of law do you do? Oh, real estate finance. What kind of hacker podcast do you have? Oh, it's about, you know, people and social engineering. Oh, okay. I don't really know what that is. Yeah, I don't really know much about real estate finance. Oh, you guys thirsty? You know, that's kind of how how that goes. Right. Or it'll be like, do you like it? That's that's like where conversations go to die, right? Like, <laughs> oh, do you like it? Uh, yeah, it's great. Or, you know, truthfully, or if you're a lawyer, no, I think about jumping off the roof of this building every single time. <laughs> if you're a real estate finance attorney, not not all lawyers, obviously. But for that's where most conversations go. That's how a lot of things end up. They may not be that awkward or that short, but that, that's kind of the, the formula for most. Now, with facts, emotions, and why, it might be like, hey, what do you do? I'm an attorney. Oh, okay. And then we go back and forth on this. That's interesting. What made you want to become a lawyer? Oh, well, such and such. That's another fact, potentially. What do you like the most about your job? Now we're getting into emotion. Well, you know, it is rewarding when I find uh, a chance to do pro bono work or when I can complete a really big project because then we see that project crop up in the form of a subdivision where people live or a giant office building that that sort of you know becomes a part of the skyline of a city. Oh, that's interesting. What what is it that keeps you going to work every single day? Like what is it that keeps you really motivated to to keep going with your career? Now you're getting into the why, right? So we have emotion which is like, well, how do you feel when you do this? It's rewarding when da da da. And you don't, these aren't scripts by any any stretch. These are just concepts, so facts, emotions, and then why. But the why is a real concept, right? Why did you do this? What keeps you going? Well, that's when you find things like, well, you know, my dad was a lawyer and he was a criminal defense attorney and he worked with some scumbags, but he really felt good about what he was doing because a lot of the people that weren't scumbags that he worked with were actually innocent and their entire life was changed by this and he really worked hard and he stayed up late and I wanted to be like my dad because he was hardworking and everyone in the neighborhood loved him and I thought I could have that too. Now, that's a real conversation. Most people are not doing that. And you're following the the facts, emotions, and why formula to get the feelings and the rationale behind why somebody does what they does does what they do for a living. That's extremely important. Most people can never get that far in a conversation. I know people that are like living together and they rarely have those kinds of conversations. You know, there are people that are married that have those conversations occasionally, right? And granted, that's unusual, but you find so many folks like that. And you can do this, just you have to consciously follow the formula. And in six minute networking, we give you some ways to lead into certain conversational topics and things like that so that you can actually figure out how to dig a little bit. But I suppose if I asked you, like, oh, you're a hacker, you guys are into hacking, cool. You know, there's a lot of reasons behind that. One, one might be like, yeah, I love the thrill of doing what I'm doing. Or yeah, you know, system security is really important. And usually the only bad, the, the people who test it are bad and they want to ruin something. They want to turn the power off for 8 million people. You know, that's bad. I want to fix that before it happens or protect national security. And the reason I do it is because I do get a thrill, but I'm on the right side of the law. I'm not going to go to prison. I still get the thrill from breaking things without any of the consequences. Like this is a real conversation. 
mm-hmm. that you can have with somebody. And that's what I, I try to do that on the Jordan Harbinger show versus just what a lot of, I think, interviewers do, which is go like, so you're a hacker. That's cool. What have you guys hacked? What, <laughs> how, do, how do you hack stuff? And then it's like, okay, where's freaking remote? Con- where's the remote control? The equivalent of a remote control to change the channel area, right? Yeah, wow. That uh, please, everyone that's listening, if you haven't heard of the six minute networking course, please go take it. It's super valuable. I can't recommend it enough. Uh, no, Jordan didn't pay me to say this. Uh, that's just coming straight from me. Jordan, thank you so much for being on our show, taking the time out of your busy schedule. For folks that want to stay up to date with what you have going on, your business, your podcast, all the things that you're doing around the world, it seems, what are some ways that people can do that? Sure. So I'm at Jordan Harbinger on Twitter and on Instagram. And of course, you can check out the Jordan Harbinger show, which is a podcast. And since you're listening to a podcast, it's a great opportunity to plug another podcast. So I would love it. And I want people to give me feedback. Like you have a smart audience, I assume. Hackers are usually above average in intelligence, I would assume. (laughs) So, you know, yeah, those are the people I'm looking for, though. You know, like it's like it's easier to get dumb people to pay attention to your stuff, but it's far less rewarding. So I always relish the opportunity to have folks like the ones that listen to your podcast come over and say like, hey, this is worth your time. That's a, a huge compliment. Awesome. Yeah, that would be that would be great uh, if we could get some feedback for you and maybe even have you back on in the future to continue the conversation based off of whatever we hear. And we'll be sure to put all of the links and details to Jordan's information in the notes and see everybody next time.